We've been talking for uh, quite a long time now about REAL, Willow Park Vision Statement. Um, a redeemed life is what God has called us to. Uh, an empowered life is how God wants us to live. An active life, which uh, kind of where we are now. Uh, last week, Chris uh, Weens talked a bit about active life, and he had lots of stories and examples from the Ukraine, uh, truly of people who have devoted their life uh, to serving God by serving others. Um, and it was really a challenge for us as well uh, to think of ways that we can sort of be more involved, uh, sort of more enlisted personally in serving God. So I want to continue along the line of what it means to live an active life. I want to think of that both personally and as well as for us as a church. Uh, it almost seems a bit odd that we would have to talk about our faith being active. Uh, I think really the title reminds us that if we somehow separate faith from life, we can easily end up with something formal, but something really quite empty. So you might say we could have really sound doctrine, uh, but apart from a life that is being transformed by the power of God, it can easily become a form of religion that Paul says is lacking in power and lacking likely in freedom. Religion, I think Jesus would have told the Pharisees, actually binds people up. The power and the message of the gospel is actually that it is meant to free us, to walk free in a way that the world does not necessarily experience. And it's interesting, Jesus offered, when he was talking in the gospels, when he talked to people, he said, I came that you might have life, and that you might have life more abundantly. And I think his audience might have found that a bit intriguing because he was obviously talking about something more than just merely physical existence. His audience would have been alive. They, they, they would have said, well, I actually have life, so what are you talking about? We too, I think, even today, can misinterpret that message because the concept of abundant life or living life to the full is also the exact same message of our culture. That our culture's message is that you should be able to, in whatever area you're thinking, live your life to the full. So I think we have to be a bit careful about what we mean when we talk about abundant life. In Luke 12, 15, Jesus said this, Watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed, because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So the abundance that Jesus is talking about um, we have to, I think, always remind ourselves it's not about stuff. It's not about stuff, but it is about who we are as children of God. 
that we, even this morning as we sit here at Creekside Church, we are actually citizens of a kingdom that is separate from this world. And an active life, I'm going to say, is giving proof to our faith by how we live. An active Christian life, I would say, is not primarily about tasks to be performed, although there are tasks to be performed. Creekside Church knows that extremely well. Every Sunday morning, there are a lot of tasks to be performed, and God calls us to do those things. Paul says those are the good works that God has planned for us in advance for us to do, but an active Christian life is not primarily about tasks to be done, but about a life to be lived. How do I think about myself? How do I think about my life? Paul would say, I think Jesus would say that our faith is life. That our faith motivates us to live a certain way and it energizes us through the power of the Spirit of God. Spiritual experience says that we might have whatever they might be are all intended, I believe, to help us live out our faith in the practical areas of our life, our homes, our marriages, the workplace, the marketplace of life, that in all of life we are called to live out what Paul calls our high calling. And the Spirit of God that I believe speaks into every one of our hearts, I believe the Spirit of God speaks into our minds and reminds us that we are God's children, that our lives are meant to bring glory to God And our lives are meant to give encouragement to one another as citizens of an invisible but eternal kingdom. And into this call that we have, God has given us the church. In fact, you might say that is the role of the church, to encourage one another not to give up, not to give in, perhaps, to the culture, but rather to spur one another on to love and good deeds. So I always think of the church, as we gather on a Sunday morning, is actually a weekly, I would call it a rally. It is a place that we come to be reminded, perhaps to be refilled, a place to be empowered, to be God's holy people. And that I would hope that as we gather, regardless of how you may have come into the service, I hope that as we leave the service that we actually say, I felt empowered to live as a citizen of heaven. So I think church matters. I I think church is, is a big deal. I think it's sort of like a corporate staff meeting to which everyone is invited. You might say we are all shareholders in what church is meant to be. And God says, Paul says very clearly that in this church, everyone has a role to play. Everyone. That God has given his church, God has given you, God has given me gifts to be used within his kingdom. 
So I'm going to talk a little bit this morning about gifts that God has given his church. Uh, we could usually speak on the topic of spiritual gifts probably for a month or more. Some of you may hear that and say, well, you know, I've been there, done that. I've heard perhaps too many messages about spiritual gifts, and I do understand that. This morning, I simply want to offer what I'm going to call some broad thoughts and to encourage you to simply consider them. I do not even expect you necessarily to agree with everything that I'm about to say. But 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 does say this, and it's, this is definitely a paraphrase. God, he has given every one of us something meant for the common good and that nobody has been left out. Now, if you want to check out that verse and say, well, how badly did you paraphrase that, Doug? You can check. That there is something about how God has both made you and gifted you that the church needs. Like, I think we need to actually believe that. That the way God has made me, the way God has gifted me, means that I have something to contribute within the context of the church. These gifts are not confined to Sunday mornings. And I think many of the gifts that God gives to his church actually are not necessarily exercised on a Sunday morning. They might be, but they aren't necessarily simply for this gathering. That we carry the gifts that God gives us, we carry them in us, we carry them with us into all of life. So from the minute you walk out of here on a Sunday morning, you carry gifts that God has given you to be used wherever he places you. It's interesting that Paul identifies many gifts in his letters to various churches. But the list is never the same. Like it's, it doesn't seem to be a static list. So lists that, um, gifts that might be mentioned in Romans, you may not read about them in Ephesians. Gifts mentioned in Ephesians, uh, you may not read those when you read Galatians. You may not read them in Corinthians. And so I think there are a few cautions that we can exercise within the church when we start talking about spiritual gifts. And this, I know, is where you might choose to see things a little differently. But I would ask you simply to consider it. Number one, I would caution us against simply adding up all these lists. So take whatever you see in Galatians and add Ephesians and maybe add Romans. I would caution us against simply adding up these lists, building a fence around them, and saying, okay, now we got them all. 
and then endeavoring to figure out which ones are yours. And I think the church at times has a tendency to do that. And it's almost what I would call, what I think Paul is warning against in 1 Corinthians, is a preoccupation with gifts. And I have heard people say, well, you know what, I'm not really sure where to serve because I'm not really sure what my gifts are. I think Paul would say, why don't you start serving and allow the Spirit of God to free up the gifts that he's given you? Number two. I would caution us against sorting out these gifts into categories. We, we, we tend to like to do that. Inevitably, it seems to me, the headings that we choose either subtly or intentionally infer degrees of importance to these gifts. I think there's a huge danger in doing that. So we may take this horizontal list of everything that we could find wherever Paul or whoever was writing about spiritual gifts. We make a list. We categorize them. And then we have a tendency to take that list and do this with it. And we begin to talk about lists vertically according to what you might say is their wow factor. So you might say the so-called power gifts are up here. Gifts of miracles, gifts of healing, gifts of speaking in other languages or angelic tongues, power gifts. Then we might say, well, then there's the word gifts, the words, the gifts of prophecy, sharing a word of knowledge, preaching, teaching. And then we have, and please excuse me for using the reference, I'll say the so-called lesser gifts. Gifts like mercy. Gifts like generosity. Gifts like hospitality, like kindness. And I think there's huge danger in the church. When we take the gifts that God has given, and we each have one, maybe it's not even listed, and we begin to categorize them. I think if a hierarchy was intended, Jesus would likely reverse the order that we usually put them. I'm convinced of that. And he might say, well, don't put them in any order. They're just all gifts that God has given the church. But it's those lesser gifts that I believe are absolutely critical within the church of God. The so-called power gifts were in evidence in the Corinthian church. They had them. So were gifts of prophecy. So were influential teachers. Yet Paul referred to the Corinthian church as 
immature. He said, you are a church plagued by division, disorder, immorality, and self-centeredness. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, all of those, and look at what Paul is trying to correct within that church, you would say, oh my goodness, that's a dysfunctional group of people. And as I thought about that, it, it seems so clear to me that the display of things supernatural is no guarantee of spiritual vitality. I don't quite understand how that can happen. But it was certainly the case in the Corinthian church. I think there are many churches who would say, yeah, you know what, we actually, I've actually experienced that. Great displays of power, but a church that was divided. Neither does the display of things spiritual or supernatural guarantee that lives are being transformed. And so Paul's conversation with the church at Corinth was essentially corrective in nature. And I think we need to be discerning about how we think about gifts, how we talk about gifts, and how we exercise them within the church. And what seems to be missing in the Corinthian church were the gifts with very little visibility, glamour, notoriety attached to them. What truly seems to be missing in that church were things like mercy, generosity, serving one another, and even at the most basic level, loving one another. If you read some of those first chapters, Paul talks to them about the immorality that's going on within their church. He talks about people, brothers and sisters, taking each other to court. He said that should never happen within the church of God. He talks about trying to gather for communion as a church family and people come and overeat and get drunk. And if I thought, well, what's missing? There's a whole pile that's wrong in that church, yet that church had some supernatural gifts on display. But they lacked things like mercy, generosity, helping one another, serving one another. Gifts that I would say line up with the fruit of the Spirit of God. That to be filled with the Spirit of God is more about the fruit that our lives display. More so than the gifts that might be on display. When I think about the gifts that we may consider the lesser gifts, and I, I, I mean the opposite of that, 
is that within the church and within life itself, those gifts can be exercised without restraint. You can just do those things. You can love one another to your heart's content. You can serve one another to your heart's content. You can show compassion and mercy to your heart's content within the church. And I think that's why they're so powerful. They don't need careful scrutiny. They are not generally susceptible to or driven by a desire for power or for notoriety. They were lacking in the Corinthian church, but they are indispensable in a healthy and mature church. I think the church in Corinth may well have been preoccupied with gifts. That people's identity and even people's sense of importance was wrapped up in their gifting. And it's interesting, the clamor for influence or the clamor for notoriety that exists in the world around us can easily be a temptation within the kingdom of God. So I think, I think this may be up on the screen, to create a name for ourselves through our gifting is the opposite of why the gift was given. Regardless of what gift God may have blessed you with, that gifting is not so much about you as it is for the common good. And so while there is value, I think, in occasionally having a conversation in the church about gifts, I think we have to be careful not to become preoccupied or fascinated by them. I would say we need even caution not to become anxious about trying to figure out what our gift is. But I would say know this, and this is how Paul started. You have something of value that the church needs. So serve one another and love one another and let God gift his church. When I read through 1 Corinthians, and it's an interesting book, and at some point I'd love to go through it. To me, when I read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, stands out in the middle of that book as an absolute diamond. And we sometimes get preoccupied with the conversation about gifts that came before it or the conversation about gifts and how to exercise them that comes after it. But in the middle, we have this incredible chapter that I believe reflects God's heart for how we as his church ought to live. Which is why Paul calls 1 Corinthians, and many of you will know this, he calls it, let me show you a more excellent way. 
Would I love for us to be a church where all the gifts were in evidence? I say absolutely. And I pray that God would visit gifts of healing within Creekside Church. I pray that God would visit miracles on his church, even here at Creekside. I pray that God would give people the gift of speaking in languages that they do not know or understand. I've thought about that. At times I've prayed for it. I do not have that gift. But I know there are times in my own prayer life where I don't really know what to say. And the idea that God could give words into that that I would not even necessarily understand seems like an amazing gift. But Paul is very clear. These gifts, if they are not exercised in humility, if they are not exercised in love for one another, they can easily become, and I mean this literally, annoying, distracting, and self-centered. He talks about that in 1 Corinthians. If I had that gift without love, I would be a clanging gong. Clanging symbol, I would be annoying within the church of God. Paul also says eventually they're going to pass away. Those gifts are going to pass away. But he does say in 1 Corinthians that there are some things that are going to remain. And you probably know what they are. It's the end of 1 Corinthians 13. What remains are those things that will build, encourage, and empower the church. Steadfast faith. Hang on to your faith for dear life. unwavering hope that the God who has called us is the same God that is preparing for us a place in heaven for us to dwell with him forever. And lastly, he says, love. And I'm going to call it intentional love within his church. If I want to leave a message with us this morning, it's don't become preoccupied necessarily with searching for what, what is my gift, what am I supposed to bring. I would say rather ask yourself, how can I serve the church? How can I love the church? How can I love and help love one another? It's interesting, this theme is not a theme that, that Paul confined to Corinthians, this theme about love, about faith, about hope. And I'm going to read uh, in closing um, a few verses from Colossians 3, verse 12 to 17. Uh, this is a letter in which I don't think Paul ever talked to this church about gifts or anything related to gifts, but he did say this. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, 
You must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offended you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love. Many translations say, put on love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you were called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. I think that's the abundant life that Jesus is talking about. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks through him to God the Father. This is what we need to pursue. This is how we are called to live. This is God's desire for us as his church. It's interesting at the beginning of Corinthians when Paul says, I wish I could talk to you like mature men and women, but I have to talk to you like babies. He says at the end, and it's kind of an encouragement for that church. He says in in chapter 16, he said, beyond the alert... So be watchful within the church. Stand firm. And then it says in the translation I read, act like men. I think today would be a better, perhaps, translation to say, grow up. As people of God, be strong and let all that you do but done in love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gift of the word of God. Father, I pray that even this morning that, Father, you will speak into our hearts. Father, may we know the incredible depth of your love for us through Jesus Christ. Father, would you also speak to our minds? Father, would you encourage us in our walk of faith? Father, would you motivate us as your children to love one another, to serve one another, and be willing to be used within this incredible body of Christ that's called the church? So I pray that for us here at Creekside, Father, that you would continue to speak to us through the Spirit of God that speaks into our very life. Pray that even as we leave this morning, Father, that we would walk out energized, renewed, inspired to live out this life that you've called us to. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.